Hello and welcome to the IDO podcast. My name is Dryden and I am your host. On today's episode, I was joined virtually by Isabella Potter. Isabella is a graduate student at Trinity Western University who is working towards her master's degree in counseling psychology. Isabella and I were able to chat about her experiences as a counseling student, the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic on the world's mental health, and Christian attitudes towards therapy and counseling. I hope you all enjoy the conversation as much as I did. Please be aware that the IDO podcast is an independent production by the Graduate Student Association of Trinity Western University. The views expressed in this episode are only the views of the participants and do not reflect the views of Trinity Western University or the Graduate Student Association. Isabella, thank you very much for being on the show today. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm honored to be here. Is this your first time on a podcast? This is my first time on a podcast. Wow, I'm, I'm so honored. Um, I'm pretty sure, I think, I think every one of our guests so far, had, this has been their, the first podcast that they're on. So if that's the only role that this podcast fills is just getting people used to being on podcasts, then I guess maybe that's the role that we fill. Um, but anyway, I'm really That's glad. That um, so if I understand correctly, you are working on your MA in counseling psychology. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. I'm in my second year here at Trinity Western uh, studying counseling psychology. Right on. So uh, did you do your undergrad at Trinity or did you do your undergrad somewhere else? So I did it at UFE, the University of the Fraser Valley in Abbotsford. Okay. Uh, studying psychology. And then I kept going with psychology. Um, yeah, I live in Abbotsford still. And I guess I'm a commuter. But I mean, these days that looks a little different with yeah. online classes and such. We're, we're all commuters these days. Um, and yeah. so are you from Abbotsford, like originally? Is that where you grew up? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I've, I haven't gone super far from Abbotsford to Langley. Um, so perfect. how did you... <laughs> How, how did you wind up at Trinity? Did you come to, into Trinity straight from your undergrad or was there a gap in between? How did you handle that? Yeah, so I um, was doing my undergrad part-time for several years and then there was a little bit of a gap, but I just kind of, um, I don't know, I feel like in some ways I'm a perpetual student. I always want to learn and um, I just kind of was like, oh, we'll see. I'll apply and see what happens. And yeah, it ended up being about half a year in between cool. um, my undergrad and grad school. I've heard really good things about the counseling psychology program at Trinity specifically. Um, over my time at in my undergrad, I just kept meeting people that were doing the program and had said really good things about it and so in the back of my mind like all throughout my undergrad I just kept thinking "Hmm, maybe I'm going to apply one day yeah and do counseling so was was counseling always kind of your goal or were there other areas of psychology that interested you as well yeah that's a good question um I think the counseling part came later for me I've been interested in psychology since high school and that was just kind of the direction I wanted to take. I didn't know what that meant, like job-wise, but just loved learning about people. I remember I took grade 11 and grade 12 psychology at the same time, mm. and I just like 
felt like I fell in love with psychology and I was like, wow, people actually talk about this stuff. Like, it's <laughs> not just me. I, I'm not the only one who thinks like this. And I felt like I discovered a whole new world. And then after high school, same kind of thing where I was just like, yeah, I'm not really sure um, what path I want to take, but I love psychology. So why don't I just take a few psychology classes and then ended up doing a degree in psychology. Um, but yeah, like, I feel like the counseling part was more just a practical element at first. It seemed yeah. like, okay, this is a concrete job. Um, but over time, it seems like my personality actually suits it really well. Uh, is that, is the goal then for you to um, go straight into the field or would you be interested in ever pursuing further education? I know you refer to yourself as a, as, as a professional student. So do you think you'd ever be able to totally say goodbye to school or will that be like a lifelong pursuit for you? Yeah, I'm not sure. I think at this point, um, I could see myself taking a bit of a break. Yeah. But the cool thing about counseling psychology is you always have to keep learning. Um, right. As a therapist, like there's like so many workshops and like, yeah, just like different ways that you can continue like engaging in the literature and reading and studying even if you're not in school but I'm open to the possibility of one day doing some more school yeah so so I'm definitely not cut out to ever go into counseling psychology I feel like um I feel like I would go completely insane if I spent my entire career listening to other people talk about their problems um but what is there is that part of the allure of the career for you? Like, is it the, it, is it the interpersonal aspect of psychology that, that drew you into that? Yeah, I think so. Um, I appreciate you saying that about yourself. <laughs> Not that I would say that from the little I know you, I wouldn't say that you wouldn't be cut out for counseling, mm -hmm. but um, I just feel like it is a very niche career in some ways. Yeah. Um, and I think it's important that people recognize if that's something they want to do or not um, before they just find themselves in that sort of profession, because yeah. I think it can be quite draining. Totally. Um, yeah. Like it really requires a lot of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But I guess going back to your question, I think, I don't know. I think that it's kind of like a, something that's pulled me towards and away from from counseling is that interpersonal aspect. I think there is a bit of a fear or there has been some apprehension in the past about like, oh, is this going to be something I can like at the end of the day, like kind of leave at work mm -hmm. um, because it is quite demanding um, in some ways. But I do love like working with people and getting to know how people think and kind of their inner worlds. Yeah. Um, so that part, yeah. So that that does kind of lead me then into the next question. If somebody was listening to this podcast that was uh, interested in potentially doing what you're doing, uh, going into the MA of counseling psychology at Trinity, um, what are maybe some things that you would that you would say to them, or that that you would tell them about, like things that maybe you wish someone would have told you before you started in the program? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, Interestingly enough, I did actually talk to a lot of alumni from the program before I started. Um, so I did 
get a lot of good um, input on what it was going to be like. I had uh, one alumni, I remember telling me, like, I was like, how do I prepare for this? Like, how can I prepare to be a better counselor before I get into a counseling program? And she, she was like challenging me on that question. And she's like, okay, so what I'm hearing is you're saying like, what do I need to do? And I think that was the wrong question mm. for me to have at the time. Um, Cause she's like, yeah, you just want to like slow it down. <laughs> mm. Like take as long as you need to do it. Um, and really like focus on like self care. And like, she was like, if you're ready to do it right away, do it right away. If you need more time, take the time because I don't think it's, it's not a career where you can really, like if you're just interested in having an MA and it's like, uh, it's about the like academic achievement, it's like maybe not the best um, place to be because it's very much on, yeah, like working on yourself, um, yeah, self-care, taking care of other people, and that requires time. And yeah, I think that was really helpful for me to hear as someone who was kind of more anxious to get in and like be a good student and do it well. I think just taking off the pressure of like, okay, this is not about the grades. I mean, I think that applies to many master's programs, like kind of that shift from undergrad to, to MA. Did you find that for yourself? Like that? Oh yeah. That switch of like, okay. Yeah. It's yeah, it's a whole different ball game going from undergrad to graduate work for, for a lot of different reasons. And I, I think a lot of people mm-hmm. who do really well in their undergrad don't necessarily do well in grad school and just, yeah, and, and vice versa, right? Like, um, yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's a different ball game in a lot of ways. Um, but this is though, this is one area kind of of interest to me where, you know, my, your, um, your MA is very like career focused, right? Like you said, like it's, it's very geared towards that specific career path. Whereas um, my education has always been like, you know, like, like I, like I'm doing my MA in philosophy, right? Like that's, that's definitely not mm-hmm. geared towards a specific career path. So in, it, uh, in the counseling MA, what is the, is there like an internship or like a practicum element that you've had to do or something like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's been a really large part of um, Trinity's program specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, so in our, what's really cool about um, Trinity's MA and counseling site is in your first year, you already start seeing clients, mm-hmm. which often is not the case. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> I got to see a few clients in October of last year when I was like, Two months into the program right which yeah like I feel like a lot of counseling programs you it's very like study intensive at the beginning yeah. and then more practical at the end yeah so there's both practicum and internship and there's like a lot of hours that you need to get for the program which is great because it means a lot of practice <laughs> yeah I I can I can only imagine how jarring that would be as as a first year grad student to have to start seeing clients um I I feel like like there would be a really terrible sense of like imposter syndrome or or like you know oh you don't even know (laughs) (laughs) 
that's one thing that yeah. every grad student in the world can relate to is is imposter syndrome mm -hmm. yeah for sure um I thought it would maybe go away in second year, but no. <laughs> it doesn't. I've been told that. <laughs> I think it's even stronger. <laughs> yeah, I've been told that it only gets worse as you get further. So <laughs> it probably doesn't help. Yeah, for lot. sure. Um, yeah. I, I don't know if you've ever I had this. I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but I've even had like, like people who give me imposter syndrome, like people who I think are like way more accomplished and way more successful than I am. Like I've heard those people mm. say that they have imposter syndrome and I'm like, what? No, like you're there, you've arrived, like you're successful. What are you talking about? But no, it's, I think it's totally just a universal academic experience. Yeah, totally. I've experienced that as well with other students who I think are just like thriving. Yeah. And then they mention insecurities that they have. And I'm like, oh, okay, good, good to know. So <laughs> that mean, is one thing. On the one hand, it's comforting that it's universal and it's just a very human thing to feel like, you know, maybe I'm not cut out for this, but here I am. And I guess yeah. that everybody feels that to some extent. And then on the other hand, like you're saying, like hearing people that I think are doing so well, having those thoughts, it's like, yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe I shouldn't feel so good either. Because <laughs> I'm even worse. Yeah, exactly. So how, like, like, obviously you probably can't go into too many details about this, but how was that experience for you of, of seeing like your first ever like clients in like a counseling setting? Like, how did that go? I was very nervous. I, I can imagine I would, be, I would be a wreck. Yeah. Um, in my practicum, I was the first to see a client. Mm. And I think, yeah, I think there was just, I felt a lot of pressure. And we also um, filmed the sessions during practicum. Mm. So I had my practicum team all watching <laughs> my <laughs> session as it happened. This just keeps getting worse. Yeah, so, I mean, on the one hand, it was very comforting to have their support, and they were all very supportive, but on the other hand, it felt like, yeah, this is a lot of pressure, and I just felt like, okay, who let me in, for one thing? Yeah. <laughs> um, but also just, like, the feeling of somebody kind of looking up to you as, like, okay, I'm here to be supported by you. Yeah. Um, having a client look to you towards um, kind of that end was a bit of a weird feeling for me, for sure. But yeah, with time, it's gotten a, a little less wild, a little more like, okay, yeah, I do have this role. Yeah. I sometimes don't fully understand what that means exactly. Um, but I guess you kind of just put your counselor hat on and then you take it off. <laughs> yeah. Like, I can imagine that for someone in a counselor role, it must feel like there's a huge divide between who you are in your practice and who you are as a real person, right? Like, like I, f I feel like when you're in that, when you're in the session with your client, like, I feel like that person that you're portraying yourself to be like, you know, having all the answers and having all the wisdom and guidance. Um, like, I feel like, like, I feel like sometimes it would feel like there was a huge divide between that self that you're projecting yourself to be and then like, what you actually feel about yourself is that mm. is that accurate yeah I think yes and no um I think I definitely feel that and maybe it kind of goes alongside the imposter syndrome of like 
yeah, like they, <laughs> these people are looking to me to as this kind of like source of wisdom or yeah. source of healing or whatever. But, but then kind of reminding myself, it's like, I'm not here to figure out everything in their life or to fix yeah. anything, like to just remind myself, like, um, what exactly is the role of a counselor? Because yeah. I think there is kind of a misconception that that counselors have everything all sorted out in their own life. Yeah, totally. Like, I'm a counselor who has a counselor who has a counselor <laughs> who probably has a counselor. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So what what is then, like, what are, um, this? you perfectly brought me into my next question, which was, like, what are the misconceptions about counseling that, that you've encountered? Like, um, when you tell people you're in a counseling program, like, like, what are the frustrating kind of, like, misconceptions that people have about the field that you would kind of want to, like, set straight? Yeah, I find this really interesting. Um, kind of, yeah, what I was just saying about, like, people thinking that, that, like, counselors or therapists, like, are so wise and put together mm -hmm. and just, just know exactly how to live life. Like, yeah. okay, yeah, for sure. There is some element of like, they need to be, um, have a certain amount of maturity or kind of life skills to get there. But um, I mean, same with so many other professions. And just because you, someone might have an ability to help other people in their lives doesn't mean that they always like are able to self-reflect perfectly on their own stuff. Mm -hmm. Like I think often we're so much better at seeing other people's stuff, whatever you want to call it, um, struggles or noticing things in other people than in ourselves. And I think, yeah, like even what I was saying before, like of counselors having counselors, I've ha talked to people about that outside of the field and they just think, oh, I would never want to go to a counselor who has a counselor. That's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> but but I'm like, no, you like, that's actually a sign of a good counselor that they're like wanting to grow as a person Yeah. that they have the humility to, to realize that they're not at this like ultimate level of human understanding that they don't have things to fix themselves in their own life. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like, I think, I think one person explained it to me, like, you know, when you go to a barber to get your hair cut, like your barber also goes to someone to get his haircut, mm. right? Like that, yeah. that doesn't mean that he's a bad barber. It just means everyone needs to get their haircut, right? Totally. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Uh, what, are, like, are there any specific challenges um, or specific like misconceptions that you would want to address coming from counseling, like in the Christian context? Um, see, you know, see, seeing as though, your program is at Trinity. Like, are there any unique mm -hmm. challenges that someone in your program would face that someone who was doing counseling like at UBC uh, wouldn't necessarily Yeah, answer? Yeah, that is a very good question. Um, I'm curious if there's anything motivating that question. Like if you yourself have heard <laughs> well, anything or- Well, well I'm, I, I think I'm just thinking, generally speaking about how like, how like how I think like Christian attitudes towards even like mental health as a whole oh I, yeah have you know really been shifting over the last generation um mm -hmm. are there any stigmas is still like that you would encounter in the Christian context and counseling like is there any resistance I should say like is there any resistance out there against the idea that Christians should be people who have counselors and and who go to therapy and you take antidepressants yeah. and you, you know 
stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm hesitant to overgeneralize, but I, I think that is an excellent question. Yeah. Um, I think it really depends on the individual, but I've, there's definitely themes that I've seen in my own personal life with um, like Christians that I know. I think oftentimes from my experience, I've encountered a lot of Christians that think like, they don't see a ton of stigma anymore, but they personally still mm. aren't as open to counseling or antidepressants or right. that sort of thing. Like, I feel like that's pretty common in Christian circles of like, oh yeah, counseling's really good. Good for you. Mm-hmm. But people may be a little more hesitant themselves. Um, but I also have seen lots of Christians embracing like mental health, mental wellness, um, going to counseling, taking medication if it's needed, um, stuff like that. Uh, yeah, I know, like, I definitely talked to a few individuals in kind of Christian circles that have thought, like, that psychology is silly or yeah. that it's just kind of, like, an alternative to religion or faith that some people choose. And I'm like, no, I, don't, I <laughs> very much think that you can be a Christian and also see a lot of value in, in counseling and in psychology. Um, that's obviously my bias here. Like I'm in yeah. a counseling psychology program at Trinity. Of course, I'm going to think that, but yeah. I don't know. I think it's definitely the stigma is decreasing like across yeah. the board. Um, and then in Christian circles as well. When you first asked that question, my first thought was um, kind of the idea of, okay, like biblical counseling, mm. um, which I think a lot of people think that's what Trinity's program is before they get to know or read into it. Um, but actually I would say that it's very much like a regular counseling program in a context amongst Christians rather right. than a Christian counseling program. Right. If that makes sense. That makes total sense. I think that's probably a really good way to put it. It's like when, uh, the, Sorry, I'm, I'm probably totally going to um, be condescending when I say this, but it's like when a band says like, oh, we're not a Christian band, but like we are Christians in a band, right? <laughs> like, like just because you are Christian students in a counseling program doesn't necessarily make it a, a Christian counseling program, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, um, yeah that's, a, that's a pretty fair uh, comparison. I think... Um, to take it a step further, though, there are definitely people in the program that aren't Christians, right. and I think that's another misconception of this program in particular is I think there's a large emphasis on spirituality and worldview as opposed to Christianity in particular, right. um, and playing, like, saying, okay, what role does your worldview have in counseling? Because I really don't think you can separate the two. Totally. Um, yeah. So, so Okay. Um, I, I think we're at a perfect place now to kind of move into the the second half of our discussion where we get a little more academic into your own specific interests and whatnot. But before we do that, um, I did warn, I did give you fair warning that I was going to ask you the same question that I've asked all my other guests so far, which is, would you rather fight one horse-sized duck or 100 duck-sized horses? And I expect you to have a fantastic answer because I warned you. Ahead. Oh, gosh. <laughs> that I was going to ask for. Yes, you did warn me. And I think I had an answer, but now I can't remember it. I mean, I want to say I don't want to fight anybody because I'm a pacifist. 
This is a life or death scenario here, Isabella. They're attacking you first. Um, I'm not really big on violence, but if I had to choose, I would choose the second option. The hundred really duck-sized horses. That's a yeah. lot of little horses to fight off, but but I admire your ambition. Yeah, I'm just thinking like I'm a pretty small person and I feel like I would be crushed very easily by a singular large animal. <laughs> by a duck. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. You know, you I I'm not sure if you could ever incorporate this question into your practice as a counselor, but I feel like you can tell a lot about a person's self-perception based on how they answer this question. Because mm. some people say, oh, I'd much rather fight one horse-sized duck because it, it would be easier to just have one opponent as opposed to a hundred opponents. But then other people immediately think about the size and they're like, oh, well, you know, I'm not big enough to fight something that's the size of a horse. So I want to fight the small things, right? It's interesting. Yeah. I like I'm almost hesitant to switch my answer because I don't know that I have enough stamina for <laughs> for that many animals, but I do feel like I have a better chance. <laughs> Interesting. Well, at this point you've probably put more thought into it than any of our other guests have, so we'll just congratulate you and and and, and thank you for okay. welcome the game. Um Yeah, um overthinking things is one of my <laughs> one of my strengths. <laughs> right. So you have talked a little bit about uh, the academic emphasis of the program on uh, culture and, and worldview and whatnot. Um, I'm curious though, what is like, like what is your biggest academic interest right now? Like in, in the world of psychology or, or counseling specifically, like if you had to spend the rest of your career researching one specific thing or uh, one specific aspect of your field, what would that be? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so one thing that I didn't mention about the MA in counseling psychology is that there are there's a thesis and a non-thesis option. Okay. And I'm in the non-thesis option. And I think part of the reason is because there's so many areas that I'm interested in that to just <laughs> pick one feels very daunting. Yeah. I, um, I feel that. And it feels yeah, and it feels like a very like large commitment. Um, but I mean, right now, I'm really curious about how this current pandemic is affecting people's mental health, mm. um, because I think there's going to be a lot of research coming out of that. And yeah, is even there, like... Is there, like, to what extent is there, like, a like, I think I already know the answer to this, but is there, like, a huge increase in people accessing counseling and therapy services right now? Yeah, like you would think that a lot more people would be accessing it because yeah. of the need, but I almost feel like it's gone from my perception and it could be totally off. I almost feel like it's gone the other stream where a lot of people are kind of in survival mode and counseling has been put off um, as not really an essential. Right, yeah. Is that, what were you going to guess? Well, well, I mean, like, I feel like, a lot of people would be becoming very aware of their, like, if they do have, if anybody does have, like, a mental health struggle, I feel like it's all coming to the surface mm. right now. Like, I feel like we have more than enough time right now to be 
alone with our thoughts and to be alone with ourselves. Right. But, but then Mm -hmm. I can also see how, um, you know, when you are in the survivor mode and like, you know, if you have been laid off or, you know, if you're facing economic uncertainty, like, you know, going to therapy isn't exactly something that's on the top of most people's priorities. So it's, it's interesting. Yeah. And I think you're right as well about things coming up and, I think a lot of people right now that have never struggled with mental health their whole life, but now aren't working or now, um, you know, have had all these like large changes in their life. Yeah. Like things are going to come up and even just like loneliness, I feel like is so prevalent right now. People being at home and not maybe being able to connect online, but not having the community that they're used to. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think, I mean, there's definitely access, like, especially with people, people with internet or phone can do phone counseling or uh, telehealth, like video counseling. But so, yeah, I think it's some people that maybe normally wouldn't be going to counseling are, and others who normally would be are kind of waiting it out or um, taking a pause. But yeah. that's just my observations. I'm not sure how accurate that is. Yeah. No, well, I mean, you would, you would have a better perception than I would, but um, yeah, no, no, it's interesting. I think there's going to be a lot of things that um, I think a lot of things are, are coming to the surface in the world right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think, uh, I think people's own, you know, I think, I think that, I think that happens at a very individual level as well. Like, I think at the worldwide government level, things are coming to the surface, but then also at like the smallest, most personal level, things are coming to the surface where pe- once, when you leave people alone in their house for weeks on end, you know, um, yeah. I think things come up, right? Um, yeah, totally. no, it's interesting. Um, mm-hmm. So my, uh, coming from my background in, in philosophy, um, my like the closest that I would have ever come in my own academic expertise to like uh the world of psychology or counseling would be like existential philosophy um and you know of course the great French existentialist Albert Camus uh he wrote that great novel The Plague which is Mm. (laughs) basically a more dramatic version of what we're living through right now um but you know that sounds lovely (laughs) (laughs) that's a very prominent theme throughout the novel is you know events like this like they have a way of like tearing down our defenses right and that it like Mm. they remind us of our humanity and our mortality yeah you know how fragile life is and how you know no matter how well developed we are no matter how our militaries and our governments can take us in the world like we're still susceptible to things like this right yeah yeah it's really uplifting stuff really um (laughs) (laughs) yeah it feels great to talk about um yeah yeah, I think that's so interesting and I think it's so true like the facades kind of come down when when we're put in these situations um Yeah. yeah so has there been um like, are there any, like, famous psychologists or famous, like, therapists out there that you, like, really look up to? Like, if you could be like that person, you would? Yeah, um, I mean, there's a lot. Like, 
I don't know if you just want me to start name dropping people. But well, just, just start name dropping. We'll see. We'll see where we go. Yeah. So right now I um, am working with couples in my internship, okay. doing couples counseling. And someone, well, there's there's several great couples counselors out there, um, but um, right now I'm doing Gottman training. So that's uh, John and Julie Gottman. They're um, pretty well known couples therapists. Um, there's Esther Perel, who she has a podcast on couples counseling, and I think she's really exceptional. Um, but definitely, I have a very different personality than her. Right. <laughs> she's a uh, very direct in her couples counseling, but and I've also really enjoyed listening to Hillary McBride. She's actually a grad from an alumni from Trinity's. MA and counseling psych. She yeah, you has know, a I think, podcast. I think I've heard her name. I think she's, yeah, I think I've heard her name drop before. Yeah, I'm sure you have. She has, um, yeah, like a couple podcasts, I believe, and some books. And yeah, she's like pretty well known in the field, I think, in like, at least in the Fraser Valley. Um, yeah, I think she just has like such a like compassionate presence. Um, and it was also very knowledgeable, which I aspire to be. <laughs> don't, please don't but, we all. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, you, this is, this is going to show you how, how basic my knowledge of psychology is. But are you more of a Freud person or more of a young person? Um, yeah, I don't know that I want to say Freud. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody ever wants to say Freud. Yeah, I think I would have to say young, um, just in the, even if it's just not choosing Freud. I mean, I think he, he is very, um, he was very, um, what's the word? Sexist. Influential at the time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that too. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think he had an important role in psychology, but also, yeah, he's a very controversial um, yeah. member, player in the in the team of psychology and I don't aspire to be controversial in my views, <laughs> if nothing else. But also I think, um, yeah, there was a lot of great ideas, but a lot of overgeneralizations. And I think that's something that I try to avoid in my counseling is like not making large assumptions about people, but like actually getting to hear their stories. Yeah. 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 That is, that, that is interesting. And, and there is a sense in which, um, you know, I think, I think psychology sometimes freaks people out because sometimes like when we, when we determine like, oh, this person probably has this particular personality disorder based on mm. you know, research that we've developed from this study. And, you know, I think there is a sense in which that freaks people out because it, it almost takes away the ability, yeah. right? And it's, it's like, like, I think people can sometimes feel like they're being put into a box um totally yeah no that no that is very interesting um and you know again from my background in philosophy which has barely touched on psychology you know the mind is a weird place oh yeah for sure <laughs> like like we i mean you you definitely know more than i do but i i did take dr bob doty's philosophy of mind class shout out to bob doty and you know like we are really still debating like very fundamental things about how the mind works and 
mm. you know, how the mind and the environment are related. And uh, yeah. that I, and, and I think, yeah, I think that's something that's very valuable in like, like what you've been saying, like going into the counseling field with the emphasis on the individual, right. And with the desire to get to know the person um, as opposed to, you know, as opposed to getting to know the psychological categories into which you're into which we put people, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's so important. Like um, the individual as well as the context that they're in. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like really seeing the humanity in people rather than than jumping to diagnoses, I think is something that I've really been, um, yeah, just feeling like the... I don't know how to put it, but I just feel more and more uh, desire to to connect with people rather than, um, yeah, make generalizations or try to fix things or, yeah, put things in clinical terms. Yeah. Um, not that there's never a place for that, but. Right. Yeah. But it, you know, um, I, again, if I can flex if I can flex my philosophy background. Um, I, I, yeah, said to, sure. <laughs> I said to one of my last guests that, you know, as a podcast host, I'm really expected to have a very basic level, base level knowledge in a wide variety of subjects. And, and I really don't. So I really just um, relate everything back to my own education as much as I can. But, you know, in the, in the world of philosophy, you know, there, there's analytic philosophy and there's continental philosophy. And analytic philosophy is more so like, like clinical psychology, like it's based on like logic and formulas and scientific data and, you know, the rules of logic and math and and that sort of thing. Whereas continental philosophy focuses on the individual experience of life, right? Like the things that we can't define in logical formulas and the things that don't fit into, you know, the laws of physics or the laws of nature. and, and, and it's, it's, that's one area in which I've seen a lot of correlation between philosophy and psychology, how there is this debate mm. between, you know, to what extent do we observe the person as an object and then use that knowledge to diagnose other situations? Or to what extent do we treat every individual as a subject, as a, you know, as a mm. unique individual? Um, and, and that's not a question that I even have any authority to even begin discussing but um yeah no it is it is fascinating and yeah. uh yeah i don't <laughs> i wish i had more to say about it but you're the you're the expert here um i don't know if i go that far but <laughs> i appreciate <laughs> you saying that i was just gonna say that's really interesting and it it makes me think back to um learning about like abnormal psychology in my undergrad and and different um, like at the DSM-5 different diagnoses and really how that's like something that's so important for clinicians to know, but yet at the same time, we don't want to hold that too tightly. Yeah. And to remember that there's a human behind a diagnosis. And sometimes people are misdiagnosed or or di- the same diagnosis presents differently in two different people. Totally. So to, re- to really not... Um, to see if someone is a bunch of labels, but rather yeah. as someone who has needs and desires and and wants to be loved and cared for. 
just like everybody else. Yeah. 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 Well, and, and, um, if we had, you know, even if we had six more hours to talk, we still probably wouldn't even scratch the top of the iceberg of that one. But, um, unfortunately we are kind of getting close to our time for today, but, uh, I do, again, just really want to thank you for being on the show. Uh, you were the first person from the MA counseling program that I've had. So it's, it's been really cool. And uh, I wish you all the best in, in your future studies and in your career. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me. Once again, that was Isabella Potter. Isabella is doing her master's degree in counseling psychology here at Trinity Western University. Once again, the IDO podcast is an independent production by the Trinity Western University Graduate Student Association. Our theme music for today's episode is Like Clockwork from an artist by the name of Benjamin Kling. On behalf of the Graduate Student Association, I'd like to thank everyone who tuned into this episode, and I hope to see you next time.